0: past few weeks we've been in this series where we've been uh, trying to talk about what does it look like when the fire of god catches light in a group of people i want to take you immediately to the theme verses for this passage it's been for this uh, series of messages it's been in acts chapter 2 acts chapter 2 verse 1 says this when the day of pentecost came they talking about the followers of jesus they were all together in one place suddenly A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The question that we've been asking over the last couple of weeks is what happens when God's people get together and the Holy Spirit takes hold in their midst? What happens when a group of people get filled with the Spirit of God in a way that hasn't happened before? What happens in that church? What happens in that group of people? What happens in the city around them? Over the past couple of weeks, we've identified some key things. But Acts chapter two, verse 42, has been our major theme verse for what happens when the Holy Spirit takes residence in a group of people. Verse 42 says this, they, not just They, the original disciples, but they and all the new people who became believers on that first day. They, all 3,000 plus of them, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These were people who had never heard the message of Jesus before. They were from all over the ancient world coming to this feast of Pentecost. And when they got to that feast, they saw the miracle of the Holy Spirit doing something amazing in those first disciples. They heard the message of Jesus, and they decided to follow. There's just one problem. There was only one place on the planet where they could hear the message of Jesus any more than they had already heard. And to think that you've got the message of Jesus in just one day is quite naive. And so they said, we can't leave this place. We need to devote ourselves to this new teaching. We need to devote ourselves to these apostles and what they have learned from Jesus. And so the first thing we talked about is the importance to know this fire, If the Holy Spirit of God has descended on these people in kind of like a fire form, then the first thing is for them to know what this fire is all about. This metaphorical fire, this spiritual fire that's going on in them, they first had to know what it was all about. Secondly, they needed to live it out. And they needed to feel it. Because as they began to build relationships with each other, they began to feel new feelings. These are 3,000 people who are strangers to me, but yet I feel somehow linked with them. And the joy and the fellowship that they experienced in those first days were amazing. And so they were living it together. They were feeling it together. They were learning about it together. But there's one thing that we still haven't covered with them yet that we need to. And it's hinted at in this verse 20, 47, the verse we ended with. I'll put it up on the screen. It says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, what was going on was that they were experiencing something amazing. They were going into financial hardship to care for all the people who were in their midst. And on top of it, they were welcoming, welcoming new people into their midst. Even though 120 people were taking care of 3,000 men plus their families. They still were welcoming more. The Lord was adding to their number daily. By the end of the next chapter that we read, we find the numbers are about 5,000. And so here's the amazing thing. This first church was growing amazingly quickly. Now, listen, I know some of you came to our church from larger churches. I've heard this a lot. I've heard people say, you know what, I just really like smaller churches. And so that's one of the reasons why we put both of our worship gatherings together so that you could maybe get over your feeling of, I like the smaller church thing. Because listen, we all like small circles of relationships, But for us to pretend the church is about my relationships is just simply naive. The church is about the kingdom of God and kingdoms are always bigger than one family. If the kingdom is only one family, then you've got a really, really weak kingdom. But kingdoms that are good kingdoms are always bigger than one family. And so we have to have this mindset of no matter how big we are as a church, whether we're small, whether we're big, it doesn't matter, no matter how big we are, there are more people who need to be added. There are more people who need to be added. And the only way the new people get added is if the people who are already in give. You see, every single time someone new comes in, someone who's already there has to lose just a little bit. Maybe you came this morning and you're like, wait a minute, someone's sitting in my seat. There's a group of people, there's a family. I'm not going to point them out, but there's a family here who gets early, gets here earlier now, just so they can sit in the seat that they have always sat in for the last couple of years. And some of you, some of you I know, if you came into the room and someone was in your seat, you might think to yourself, well, today's not the day for church then. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. All of us have those issues. All of us have those issues where when someone new comes into the family, when someone new comes into the fold, the daughter just got a boyfriend, the the boy just got a girlfriend, someone's getting married, someone new came into the family, the people who are already in the family have to give up something. But didn't we just talk about the fact last week that the cornerstone behavior of the early Christians was sacrifice. The cornerstone behavior of the early Christians was sacrifice. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to give the fire to other people. Now, I'm not that great at uh, salesmanship, even though some of you probably are worse at it than I am. Um, I think I could be a good salesman. I don't think I could be a great salesman because there are some ways that you can get people to buy things that involve things I don't want to do on the level of manipulation. But I will tell you a story. When I was a kid, I was a paper boy uh, from the age of like 10 to 15. And uh, I thought it was a cool thing, not because I liked the paper. My family got the newspaper, the Daily Press, the Victor Valley Daily Press from Victorville, California. And uh, we got the newspaper, and it was just a thing that people did back then. You know, it's amazing. Um, but we did it back then, and I got paid to bring this paper to people's houses, I didn't get paid much. But the way to get paid more was to go out on these excursions with other paper boys to try to convince other people to sign up for the newspaper. And if I got new subscriptions, then I got commissions. I got bonuses on that. And I was terrible at it. I would walk up to people and I'd say, do you want to get a subscription to the Daily Press? This was the only newspaper in town. And so people would always say to me, I already get it. Or they would say to me, I don't want it. I mean, that was the only two options. It wasn't like there was someone who wanted the newspaper and just didn't have any idea how to get it. And so when a 10-year-old boy walks up to a stranger at a supermarket and says, hey, would you like to sign up for the Daily Press? The answer is no. And so I didn't do any, I, I wasn't very successful at giving that kind of thing to other people. But when I was in seminary, I got a very similar job. My wife was making the serious money by working for a technology company in Denver, and I wanted to feel like I was making a contribution to the family while I was in school. And so I got this part-time job where in Denver, the Denver Post hired me to be a salesman in grocery stores trying to get people to sign up for their newspaper, okay? It was like deja vu all over again. And so there I am, I'm in the, I'm in the grocery stores with this little booth set up, papers, and the, the strategy was to give someone a free paper. Hi, sir, would you like a free newspaper? Give them the newspaper, and then when they walk over to you, say, are you a subscriber? Because if they took the paper, they're probably not a subscriber. Now, listen, here's the amazing thing. The Denver Post and the Rocky Mountain News were in a price war with each other. Price wars are great for some people like me. And they were in a price war. And so here was the deal. For $4.90, you could get a subscription to the Denver Post for the whole year. Not $4.90 a month, not $4.90 a week, but $4.90 the whole year. One payment of $490, and then you're in for the whole year. And I thought that was a fabulous deal. Now, you didn't get like the Monday newspaper. You got all the rest of them, but you didn't get a Monday newspaper. Joe, would you mind helping Rick find a seat? You didn't get a Monday paper, but you got all the rest of them. So you got the coupons, you got everything else. And I thought this was a fabulous deal because the Rocky Mountain News couldn't make any deal similar to that. You had to do my deal. So there I was. Sir, would you like a newspaper? And I'd give it to them. And I'd say, do you know you could get a subscription to this for $4.90 for the whole year? What, you mean for the month? No, for the whole year. What, just a week? No, for the whole year. I would say it, I would do it, and I would sign people up, and guess how much I made on commissions? Nine dollars! It was amazing. It was the coolest racket ever. And all of a sudden, I became a better salesman because I had something of value that I thought I was offering to people until Christmas rolled around. On on the week of Thanksgiving, I went into the stores, and I'm giving away my free papers. And this guy says to me, is that the one with the Eddie Bauer card in it? And I was like, what? He said, Is that the.? I said, I don't know. And I gave it to him and we opened it up together. And there in the middle of the newspaper, I kid you not, was a card, a little plastic Eddie Bauer card that said on the front of it, $10 gift card. In every one of the newspapers. Now everything changed. I'm handing people newspapers and inside the newspaper is $10 cash i made a phone call to eddie bauer and i was like does this thing work just like cash like if someone brought in two of these cards would it be for twenty dollars He said yeah it's an actual gift card that's in the paper this is ten dollars of cash that i have in my newspapers buried in my newspapers and i am handing these newspapers out sir would you like a free newspaper sir would you like a free newspaper ma'am would you like a free newspaper i gave up on that technique now it was ma'am would you like ten bucks Sir, would you like $10? Sir, would you like $10? People are walking past me even faster. And I'm like, no, I seriously, this one guy comes over. I seriously, there's $10 in this paper. Let me show you. See, would you like it? You can get stuff like this all the time in the Denver Post. You're not going to get that from the Rocky Mountain News. Would you like to sign up for a subscription? This was amazing. It was the best thing. And to top it all off, I knew where the warehouse was where they kept all the extra papers. But that's a story for another time. Today's story is simply about this. I knew I had something that was so good, anyone would want it. And the idea that I would not be enthusiastic about giving that to someone else was insane. They would get a whole year's worth of coupons for $4.90. That was one thing. But now, today, for $4.90, they would get the promise, the hope, of a newspaper that would take care of them like this, and at the very least, they would get $10 cash just for coming over to me. I was offering people something that I knew had value. It's oftentimes much more difficult for me to talk to people about Jesus Because there's a lie in my heart that tells me the person I'm talking to might not value him like I do. And since they don't value him the same way I do, it makes it a little bit difficult for me to expect them to perceive the value. And it kind of makes it hard for me to perceive the value. I want to show you a story today. But before we get there, I want to give you the principle to start off. For those people who have the Spirit of God, if God's Spirit is at work in me, I should want to share it with the world. Because if God's Spirit is actually at work in me, then I have experienced the presence of God himself in me, and I should want to share that with the world. Let me take you to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. "'Then Peter said, "'Silver or gold I do not have, "'but what I do have I give you. "'In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. "'Taking him by the right hand,' When I was a kid, I kind of loved this story. First of all, I love this story because of the song. There was a song that we sang in my Sunday school. He, you know, the Peter and James, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, In Jesus' name, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. And this was, you know, when I was like five years old or so. And it was an excellent song because it got us jumping all around the room. It was a fabulous moment. I loved it because my parents always told me I wasn't allowed to run in church. But when we sang that song, I was running and leaping and praising God as I was, you know, in church. I thought it was a great song. And so anyway, this guy, he is so overjoyed. He's so happy. But when I was a little kid, it was all about the song and the walking and leaping and praising God. Then I grew a little older, and I realized something. Peter just had gotten off the hook from giving someone money. Here's a dude who was asking for money, and Peter just found a loophole. Right? He was like, I don't have any money, dude. Now listen, that's my excuse all the time. I'm not saying it's a good excuse, because when I give the excuse, it's oftentimes like this. Sorry, dude, I don't have anything. And I keep walking. And and I, I think I need to do better at that. I think you probably have experienced the same thing that I have as well. But here's the point. He says, he says, silver and gold I don't have. And I'm like Peter, that sounds great to me. I don't have any money either. That's that all sounds great to me. And so there was a time when I was really happy about this story. And then I realized I got a little older and I realized, wait a minute, what Peter does give him is healing. And that's harder. That's even more difficult than money. I don't have any money, but frankly, I also can't give the person healing. I can't solve their problems. And so then at that point in time, I started feeling guilty and to this day, I still struggle with that. When I read this passage, I still struggle with that. I don't have money to just give to everybody. And uh, maybe sometimes I should give more money to people, and so I feel guilty when I don't. And sometimes I do give some people money, and I, I feel guilty. Maybe I just enabled something about, I don't know. There's too many questions there. And so guilt is one of the things that blows up in my mind and in my heart when it comes to that. And then secondarily, I think about healing. I think about that person. They don't really need money. That person might need something else. They might might need a home. They might need a family. They might need some support. They might need some some medical care. I don't know. There's all kinds of ways they have a problem that I don't know how to solve, and so I feel guilty about that. I, I feel guilty about the money thing. I feel guilty about the healing thing. I can't offer them what they need, and I get myself into this place where I feel like I have nothing to offer. And maybe you've been in that place too. But I want to show you this verse, Acts 3, 6. We read it, but it's important to just see it again. Peter says, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give you. This is the part where I want to focus. What I have, I give. You see, I think often about what I don't have. But the principle here in this passage is what I have, I give. I'm not going to give you what I don't have, but I need to give you what I have. Something that I do have, I need to give you. And in this case, Peter says, I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm going to give you Jesus. So in Jesus' name, stand up and walk, he says to this guy. And it's a pretty powerful moment there. But again, sometimes I wrestle with this. And I think... I've seen too much tragedy in my life. I've seen too many struggles in my life. I can't just look at a person who has a problem and snap my fingers and say, Jesus solves your problem and see that person's problems get solved. I haven't been there. I haven't seen that. I haven't experienced that before. And so I I think about tragedies in our world. I think about people who are in positions of hardship and frustration I think about people with medical conditions. And I would love to be able to snap my finger and heal someone like Peter does in this moment. To just be able to say in Jesus' name you're healed and to have that happen. And there are a lot of churches where some people act like that's the kind of thing they can do. And I'm just going to tell you right now, God has never called me to do that. He's never given me the opportunity to be part of that, to see, to do it myself. And so I, you know, maybe someone could accuse me of having a lack of faith, but I'll definitely say I've got the lack of experience. And so I come at this sort of story and I see a guy who has a need. And sometimes I wonder, is Jesus really enough? Can Jesus really meet that need? But as I was looking at this passage, I began to realize something. That what the guy thought he needed was something different than what Peter thought he needed. Did you notice that? The guy thought he needed money. Peter gave him something different. Peter gave him some complete disappointment, I imagine, when he says to the guy, sorry, I don't have any money. That's the thing the guy hears all the time. One more person, sorry, I don't have any money. And then the next thing is, okay, so in Jesus' name, get up and walk. I imagine it took him a while to even consider what the guy had just said to him. But he was disappointed. He was expecting one thing, Peter gave him something else. And I began to think, maybe when I look at people, maybe I think they need something different than what they actually need maybe they don't know what they need maybe i don't know what they need i don't know why peter knew that this guy could be healed in that moment maybe because peter was really close to the holy spirit at the time he was hearing the holy spirit tell him now's the time to do one of those miracles jesus trained you in and so he does that but as you keep reading the story you begin to realize very quickly that the miracle is the smallest part of the story The miracle is actually a tiny part of the story. In fact, the miracle is kind of just an excuse for Peter to say what happens next. Look at verse 11 with me. While the man was holding on to Peter and John, I imagine he's just so excited, he doesn't want to let them walk away from him. He's like, no, 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 we're staying staying close to you. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Oh, so Peter, it wasn't some power you had that was unique. It was was something that came from outside of you. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name. And the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. For this is how, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord." And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. I want you to take a look at that last phrase that we just read, verse 19. Peter is having this major moment, this major speech. He's just healed this guy, right? And his major speech culminates in this. So you all need to repent so you can get healing just like this guy. no. So you all need to repent so you can have the power to heal people just like I did. No. You need to repent so that you can have forgiveness. You need to repent so that you can have refreshment. And you need to repent because Jesus is coming back again and the kingdom is going to be established for all eternity and you need eternity. You see, I think about the healing. I think I don't have the ability to give the healing, and yet at the same time, what Jesus wants to give people, sure, healing, sometimes, it works out fine. For sometimes, healing is a great thing that happens, and Jesus sometimes does it. But that healing was for one guy, in one moment, with one problem. And guess what? Forgiveness and refreshment and eternity for everyone all the time. That's what Jesus gives. He gives people forgiveness. He gives people refreshment. He gives people eternity. Listen, I don't know the details of why God does what he does when he does it. But I see the big picture. You see, here's the thing. If this man gets healed, how does it benefit him? Well, now for the rest of his life, he has to work. Now for the rest of his life, he can work. That's a two-edged sword, you know what I mean? Uh, For this guy, he's now healed, so everybody's going to give him recognition. But at the same time, he's going to lose his privacy you know? Oh, that's the guy, you know? Now he's the, he's the aim of the paparazzi. And then there's going to be these other people who tell lies about him. Yeah, he claimed he was crippled once, but I don't believe it, you know? He's going to have all kinds of issues and problems. Does the healing make his entire life rosy cheeks, you know? Not necessarily. It's definitely good for him. It's definitely a blessing for him, but it's not the life-changing sort of thing that makes everything perfect all the time. Because see, here's the thing. God knows That in this world, even if a problem gets solved, there's going to be a whole bunch of others. And God doesn't want to solve all your problems. What he wants to do is give you eternity. God doesn't want to solve all your issues right here. What he wants to do is cleanse you from all of your own sin. God doesn't want to just solve all of your problems right now. What he wants to do is refresh you. See, here's the thing. We spend a lot of our energies focusing on what Jesus doesn't guarantee, when all the while, there is this massive thing that he does guarantee. There's there's just one little remaining issue. And it's this remaining issue that becomes evident in this passage. I want to show you three verses that we've already read, but I just want to show them to you again in kind of a new light, taking a look at this one. It says, let's put it up on the screen here. It says, taking him by the right hand, this is Peter, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Question, how did the man know his feet and ankles were strong? Listen, you don't know how much you can lift until you try to lift. You don't know if you can stand until you try to stand. The miracle, I don't know when it happened, but somewhere in this process, the man before he knows he's healed stands. Right? Look at this next one. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. What Peter says, Peter says is before this guy even stood up, he believed what Peter had said about Jesus, and that there's something about the faith that the man had in his heart coupled with the behavior that the man had as he stood that brings about this healing, Now, I'm not exactly sure all the dynamics about when this whole thing applies. I just know what Peter says about this one moment. And he says in this one moment, this guy had his faith in Jesus and he demonstrated it by getting up and that's why he is healed. But look at this third one. Because what happens later on in verse 19, he says, repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. None of this happens unless you do the verse, unless you do the verb at the beginning. Repent. I want you to write this down. The recipient has to receive. I mean, this is standard gift-giving protocol. The recipient has to receive receive you never get the gift unless you take the gift and this is where the dilemma really comes down for all of us because see some of you in this room have a high value on who jesus is and what he has done for you and you want to give it away to a lot of people but you're worried that those other people are not going to receive it and so because you're worried about how they will receive it you hold back some of you in this room are in a different place you have received a certain amount of blessings but you feel like you're different You feel like you're special. You feel like the kinds of blessings you've gotten are really the maximum, and the people around you need totally different kinds of blessings. And so you can't bring Jesus to them because your blessings are fine for you, but these other people need something different, or they need something more, or Jesus isn't enough. And so for you, you're in that place where you're like, well, it's fine for me, but I can't guarantee it's fine for anyone else. So I'll say it to the other people in the most innocuous way possible. Strangely enough, in my experience, the people who are in this camp talk about Jesus more openly. They just talk about Jesus unconvincingly. You know, I go to church. It's a good church. Try it sometime. The people over here tend to not talk about it all, even though they're feeling it more passionately. I just don't know if I want to put all of my energy out there. I mean, how they respond to me, that that might hurt. And so in either camp, I don't know which camp you're in, but I just want to remind you of something. Peter says, what I have, I give. And the other person has to respond. And my challenge to you is to get you to let them respond. Okay? This is, did, did you hear me on that? My challenge to you is for you to let them do the responding. You see, our temptation is to respond for them, right? I think I know what they're going to say, so I just won't say anything because I'm responding for them. I think I know how they're going to feel, so I'm responding for them. No, I'm going to give you permission to let the other people handle their own response and for you to just give what you have. I want you to write it down this way. If I give people Jesus, and they respond, miracles happen. I'm not saying you're going to heal someone who's crippled. I'm not saying you're going to solve someone else's problems. What I'm saying is, you might know someone who needs forgiveness. Do you know anyone who needs the miracle of forgiveness? There's a burden on their heart, a burden on their shoulders, something that they've never been able to release. You know that person who has the burden of forgiveness. They need a miracle. And guess what? Jesus, he, he brings the miracle of forgiveness. Maybe you know someone who needs the miracle of refreshment. Yeah. Jesus brings refreshment. Listen, I'm not saying your life is always rosy. I'm not saying your face is always smiley. What I'm saying is there's always an answer. The answer might be might not be the explanation that you want. The answer might not be the explanation that you want right now. But there's always an answer. There's a God who's in charge, who loves you, who sacrifices himself for you so that you could be in eternity with him. There's always an answer. And if that's the only refreshment, it's still good enough refreshment. And maybe your friend needs some refreshment. Or maybe your friend needs eternity. They've lost a loved one, and they need the promise of eternity. They're concerned about their own condition, and they need the promise of eternity. Listen, if you know anyone who needs either forgiveness or refreshment or eternity, you know someone who needs Jesus. And you know someone who needs to have the opportunity to respond for themselves before you do the responding for them. Now, it's not always going to turn out all right. Sometimes what happens is you give what you have and it comes back to bite you. In this story, in chapter 3, it was great. Miracle, Peter preaches, it's awesome. But in chapter 4, guess what happens? Peter and John get thrown in jail. Because the people who are the religious leaders of the day don't like Peter and John talking about this Jesus guy that they just killed not too long ago. And now everybody's talking about him rising from the dead and they, they really want put, to put the kibosh on this whole you know, Jesus movement thing. And so they arrest Peter and John. They throw him in jail. The next morning they come out, they have a little trial of some kind. And they finally say, listen, Uh, We know this guy was healed, but uh, we don't really know how it happened, and we don't really want to talk about it anymore, because we don't want other people to think about it. Instead, what we're going to do is we're just going to command you to stop using the name of Jesus. How about that? Let's just, just stop using the name of Jesus. Let me show you what it says up here. It says, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, They raise their voices together in prayer. And before I read that, I just want to highlight this dynamic. These guys had an amazing experience where they had given Jesus to someone and he was healed. And then they gave Jesus to a bunch of other people. And then some people did not receive it and some people got mad at them. And how do you think you're going to respond when you offer Jesus to someone and they don't receive it? When you offer Jesus to someone and they don't receive it well, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Well, let me show you how they responded. They prayed and they said to God, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. Here's their point. They said, God, you created everything and God, you pred- predicted that people in this world would fight against you. What happens when people fight against God? Do you know? Well, they conspired against Jesus. Guess what happened to Jesus? He was anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. What they did to Jesus was exactly what God planned they would do to Jesus. It was God's plan to begin with. They thought they were fighting God, but they weren't. They were doing his plan. The person who resists Jesus is just as much in God's plan as the person who receives Jesus because God is that much in charge. He can turn anything around. And in this case, he turned that around. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They pray for two things. Boldness in their speaking and miraculous works through the name of Jesus. What do you think happened? Look at the next line. It says, and they prayed and the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Miracles do happen in chapter five. But at the end of this chapter, the emphasis is on the boldness. See, when I read the Bible, I think about all the things that Jesus can't do in my life today. Because I'm limiting him. Because people are limiting him. But the truth of the matter is, what God says is that Jesus has something for everyone And I don't need to pay attention to the miracles that I've been missing. I need to pay attention to the promises that I've been given. And I need to bring those to other people. I'm going to give you three things to take home with you today. The first one is this. If I have Jesus, I have a miracle. You are the recipient of the greatest miracle that has ever been worked. You're the recipient of the miracle of forgiveness, refreshment, and eternity. Number two, if I give Jesus, I give a miracle. When the person receives Jesus, they receive a miracle. Forgiveness, restoration, refreshment, and eternity. And you are handing them a literal miracle, whether they take it or not. And then number three, I can't make them receive it. Where you are off the hook is on their response. Where you are on the hook is what you offer. We need to be people who give the fire of God to other people. We need to be people who give the promise of Jesus to other people. And so today, as we close out our time, I want to invite you to do two things. I want you to come forward with an attitude of receiving. Receive communion. Receive God's gift of his son to you all over again. If you have Jesus, you have a miracle. I want you to come forward with an attitude of giving. I want to give however I can so that other people get this message too. Bring a financial gift. Put your name on one of the connect cards. Jot down a prayer request or some other thoughts on the back side of it and give yourself to God symbolically through that card. Bring that forward. And then as you go this week, retain both of those. Retain the attitude of I have received a miracle and retain the attitude that I will give what I have. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you Live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And His plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.